It's great to have you all with us on this Waikato morning. A wise man builds his house on a rock, but a fool builds his house on sand. The Bible is very, very clear. The Word of God says that uh, God wants us to be wise men, to be wise women, to be change agents in this world. The Bible is also very, very clear that God does not entertain fools. We're preparing ourselves for a powerful move of God in this region and in this nation. We believe that God's coming to bring a powerful move of God that will change and transform our town. What we expect to see in faith, we will see with our eyes. We become reality. But the truth is, friends, that God is not just going to come sovereignly with his army of angels and do it for us. God, in his wisdom, chooses to come and transform this nation we call Aotearoa, the nation of the long white cloud, the nation we love that we call New Zealand. He's going to do it by awakening his church, stirring us and filling us with his spirit, that we would do his work as his glorious body. That's his plan. And we see it in scripture, we hear it in the prophetic, and we expect to see it. And what that means is it's you and me. You and me. So in this series called Supernatural, it's about building our lives as the people of God. It's about building our lives together, being knit together by the Spirit of God for the purposes of God. We're supposed to live this life, as it says, that everybody's supposed to enjoy. Well, certainly as I read the scriptures, it says everyone's supposed to enjoy a supernatural lifestyle. My point today is going to be real simple. God will use the wise man and the wise woman to demonstrate his power to our nation. So what do I mean by supernatural? Uh, Well, what I mean by that is works that are done by man that could only be credited to God. Supernatural. The reality is, as I said a couple of weeks ago when I opened up this series, is God's normal should become our normal. He's already super. He's always super. We just choose to pop in and out of super from time to time. Perhaps after a prayer meeting or a stirring word from the preacher or a powerful testimony from a young man, we choose to be super for a moment. God says, no, make super your natural. It's about interacting with others and leaving behind us a trail of God-glorifying encounters where people are left in awe and wonder at the miraculous things God has done around them and in them and for them. It's our mission. Today I want to share a message with you and I've decided to call it, are you building on sand or stone? From the passage that um, Keelan read earlier, And we're going to look at this in a minute from Matthew chapter 7. So if you've got a Bible or a device, swipe yourself across to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to get there in a minute. Because in this message, what I first want to do is explain what I mean by building on sand or stone. The contrast is clear in Scripture, and the enticement should also be there for us. I want to understand why is this important. I want to show you why this is important. And then I want to look at perhaps the foundations. Because when speaking about building a house on sand or a house on stone, we're speaking about the foundation. 
And in fact, I want you to be sure what our foundation is so that there's no doubt for you. A wise man builds his house on a rock. Let's see why a firm foundation is necessary. So by now you should be in Matthew chapter 7. Let me read to you as Keelan did from verse 24. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, these are the words of Jesus, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears the sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came, the floods came, and the wind came, beat on the house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Let me pray. Lord, may you speak to us this morning as we open the scriptures, as we, we share this journey together, Lord, may you enlighten us and may you lead us. May you provoke us, convict us, that we might receive the gift of faith to respond to your word this morning. I pray, Lord, what I offer is just a mere humble offering. May you use my words, multiply them as seed to bring about the fruit you desire. And may our hearts be open to receive what you have for us this morning. Amen. So this passage been jumping in and out of it this week, all week. And, and what I note to you, and it's on the screen there, you can see one of the things that you should note is this is the conclusion of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. So beginning of Matthew chapter 5, for those of you that like to read your Bible, you can flick back there and Jesus has a multitude and they came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them. First with the Beatitudes and then with instructions for living. He's got a crowd listening to him, and he says, this is how you should live in the kingdom of God. Guidelines, which is why he says, if you hear these sayings of mine, he teaches us how to see life, how to think, how to interact with others, how to pray, how to behave, and then he finishes with this parable. What does that mean to us in the context of the way we're to understand Scripture? Well, this parable is the exclamation mark, because it's the last thing that Jesus says in this discourse. We should take note of it. Because what he's saying is, guys, exclamation point to everything I just said. Instructions with a warning. And, and what's the point of this parable? You might think it's about the church. It's not about the church. It's about you. The principle that's in this parable is how you are building your life matters. Let me say it again, emphasizing a few words. How you build your life matters matters. Really important to grasp that. There are two lives contrasted in the story. I open with that. The wise man building his house on the rock is contrasted with one that Jesus calls a fool. And the fool is one who builds on sand. There are contrasts. Each one, if you read the parable, has a different outcome. Same environment, different outcome. So you could be sitting in church the same as everybody else and get a different outcome in your life. Whether you're a fool or a wise man, you choose, and the choice is yours. This is what this parable is teaching us. How do we know this? We look at verse 24. Therefore, whomever hears these sayings 
and does them. It's on you. It's all on you. Not him, not me, you. So you can build your life in the way Jesus has prepared for us and has taught us and shows us through Scripture because Jesus is the living Word of God. Or you can ignore the teaching that's all through Scripture and as Jesus says, great will be your fall when the storm comes. Mmm, ouch is right. But this, is, this should be the, why would I listen to this and why would I take note? Wise or foolish? Jesus had many brothers. One of them was James. We know him as the Apostle James. James who wrote the book of James near the end of the New Testament. And he says this in a different phrase, but faith is action. But the absence of action reveals the absence of faith. James writes to the church. He's like, guys, guys, you're all words and no action. It's like you've all puff, no stuff. All blow, no go. You got the talk, but you got no walk. He's writing to us. He's writing to the church. Faith is an action word. So the absence of faith means the, ab- the absence of action means the absence of faith. I'll prove it to you in a minute. We'll look at the scriptures, but but I was writing this and I was thinking, well, you know, to be fair, some people think, well, it's not a doing season for me. It's about being. Well, I get that. And I agree with that. But if, even if you say, I'm in a season of waiting, what you need to understand is waiting is not a passive word. It's an active word. It doesn't mean an action. You might say, well, I'm searching for God's answers. I'm waiting for him to reveal himself to me. The Bible says, look around you. Look at the stars in the sky. Look at the birds in the tree. God is revealed to you in all things. You might be in a season of refinement. Well, to be refined is to be pruned. It requires yielding, and yielding is an action. You might be in a season of expansion and growth, and I can see that in many of you, and we celebrate that, but it still requires you to exercise your faith. James, as I said, writes this in chapter 2, and I really just wanted to highlight two verses um, rather than the whole passage, but for context, you can read the passage. What does it profit, friends, if someone says he has faith but has no works? Can his faith save him? And the answer is no in the Scriptures. What I love about this and. Because we can, we can get into the doctrine of doing, can't we? We can go, well, if I just did more, God would love me more. If I just did what the pastor said, I would get the white shoes and the gold watch like the pastor's got. But the context is very different. And what I loved about reading this this week and studying James, which is not really the key passage, but it's a supporting passage, is the example that James uses is... Abraham. Abraham. And we're going to look at Abraham soon. But Abraham is our example. And and so in using Abraham as an example, James says in verse 22, it's on the screen for you. Do you see that faith was working together with his behavior, his works? Well, he's talking about Abraham. And by his action or by his lifestyle, faith was made perfect. So Abraham, 
Abraham is a good example. We're going to jump into his story soon. We're going to bounce through several instances where we see Abraham living a supernatural lifestyle. And James is saying, in that we see faith. A firm foundation on which to build one's life. And Abraham is an example to us. Because he is now quoted in Scripture as an example of someone who had faith. Now we know, and as Richard prayed for the young people as much as he should pray for all of us, is that our lives would be an example of faith. I mean, what I'm hoping by sharing testimonies each week is that you start collecting stories of your own. I've been stirred, as God said to me, what's Jesus doing in your week this week? And I'm looking. Do you know why? Because on Sunday I've got to stand up here and tell a story. Not because I have to. There's no rules about it because I want to. What's Jesus doing in your week? Building on stone looks like living a supernatural life that Jesus shows us. Building on sand looks like ignoring a life in the Spirit. So does this message matter? And I'd say, yeah, it does. We need to establish in our life some foundation stones. You're going to build on the rock. The rock is your foundation. The foundation is what determines the kind of house you build. And what I want to show you this morning is in the middle of this message here that there's three foundations we can depend on. One is our biblical foundation. We'll do that first. The second is our heritage in faith. And thirdly, one of the foundation stones has to be the purpose for which the foundation is built. Depending on what you're building, well, it depends on what you foundation is. If you're building a big house, you need a big foundation. If you're building a bridge, you need a deep foundation. Three points for us in the middle of this message, and let's go to the first one in um, Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, Galatians chapter 3. I don't want to camp here, but I want to point you to it so that you understand what we're saying. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 29 For you are all, no one misses out, you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to to the promise. What I love about this is that, that Paul is saying to us that we, we've come into this place by, um, in, in a different letter, Romans 11, he calls it grafting. In Romans chapter 8, he calls it adoption. But whatever it is, by faith in Jesus Christ, we've become part of something bigger than ourselves. Jesus Christ, your faith in Jesus Christ means you're a son of God, but you're part of the inheritance of Abraham. And as part of that inheritance, you receive the fruit of his life. So we want to live like Abraham. Put that in the context of the two passages I just shared with you. Matthew chapter 7 says, Jesus says, if you do these words, you will be wise. James 2 says, don't just have faith, live like you have faith. Being the key points. So our foundation, our biblical foundation, can be found in the life 
of Abraham. And I believe if you look at the, if you look at the story of Abraham, starting in um, Genesis chapter 12, and you read the story in the life of Abraham through the eyes of living a supernatural lifestyle, you'll see Abraham was very supernatural. Wasn't baptized in the Holy Spirit like we know it. Uh, but he had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. Not sure if you have. But he did. And so we've got to get this inheritance. And so I've put that quote up there, fix your eyes on the realities of heaven. That's Colossians 3 verse 1. It's the anchor verse for our series. That our view, which determines our mindset, would be not on our world, but on his, that we would make ours. It's the whole point of this. So I did an exercise for myself, and I thought, what if I bounce through the life of Abraham? What would I see? I haven't got notes for you on this, but if you're writing notes, write these scriptures down. Genesis chapter 12. Abraham was led by God. God just simply said to him, go to a land that I'll show you. You don't know where it is, but I'll show you on the way. You can have the confidence, friends, that God is leading you. You should read that and go, you know what? My supernatural life looks like God leading me. And that's what you can put in as your foundation. But what about Genesis chapter 17? This is where Abraham gets a personal visitation by God. Not Jesus. God turns up. And he gets this personal promise, and God says, it's so important that you have this promise, I'm going to guarantee it with my name, which is eternal. You can count on that, and my name's at stake. That's how big this promise is. What does that mean for you? If you're living a supernatural lifestyle, you can have every confidence that God is faithful to back up his promises. He says he will. We access faith by trusting him when he says that. What about Genesis 18? Abraham negotiates with God. Like, get that. How's that for some sass? Where's your faith at where you'd stand up and go, well, God, actually, would you save the city for 50? Just 50 righteous people? Would you save Tiawamudu for 50 people that call on your name? What intercession looks like, going before God saying, come on, God. For your name's sake. If you have a personal relationship with God, he's willing to have that conversation. But if you're a stranger to him, he ain't listening. Genesis 20, we read Abraham has influence over a foreign king. Abimelech is a ruler of many. He's a ruler of this nation, this country. Abraham ends up there. But Abraham prays for the king, and the king gets healed by God. God calls Abraham a prophet and he instructs the king to follow whatever Abraham says. You can have the same favor. You see, we're entering a time where I believe God is putting a spirit on people to give them favor before leaders in the community. So the leaders in the community are looking to the church for answers. Not the church, the building. Not the church, the, the, the trust or the organization. The church, the people where someone would come to you and say, you know what, I know you're a Christian, would you help us in this work problem? I know you're a believer and a follower of God, would you help us in the community? We're coming to a time where the favor that was on Joseph, the favor that was on Daniel, the favor will be on you, that you would change your environment, that you would change your community, that you would change your family. So I love about the testimony Marge shared this morning. Marge went and we prayed for her and said, go, you are God's messenger for that household. Pray. 
see things shift and we're, we're behind you. We're praying for you. We're praying with you. You're the answer to their problems. Genesis 20. You can be like one of these people if you live a supernatural lifestyle depending on God. Be like Abraham who shifted a nation. Be like his son Isaac who influenced a region. Be like his great-grandson Joseph who the entire world was dependent on his wisdom that God gave him. I don't know about you, but I get excited about what the Word of God shows us. Genesis 21. We're still in the life of Abraham. Abraham received his promise from God as a son called Isaac, who was the fruit of his faith. What does that mean for you? Well, God made a promise to Abraham and gave the answer to the promise. If God's going to give you a promise, you can receive those gifts when you put your faith in him. And read Hebrews 11. It says that God gave him a gift of faith, and it was faith that gave him righteousness before God. Genesis 22, Abraham was told to take his promised son, go on a three-day walk to sacrifice him. Just give it all to me, God says, for the sake of knowing me. And if you read the text literally in Genesis 22, Abraham didn't pause. He believed that knowing God was more important than having what God had given him. And he packed some wood, he packed a knife, and he went on his donkey for three days with his son. And Isaac's like, uh, Dad, uh, where's, the, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? In that moment of faith, Abraham saw a miraculous provision of God, so much so that he was stirred and he said, you are Jehovah Jireh. You are the God of all provision and all sufficiency and all circumstances. In any situation, God provides enough. What was the key that opened that? Sacrifice. What's your key that might open that for you? Maybe you need to make a sacrifice. I don't know. But in that moment, on the mountain, God calls out Jehovah Jireh. And if you need God to come through for you, maybe you just need to put yourself in a place where you depend on him. So much did Abraham's faith influence God's heart that in Genesis 22, verse 15, we read this. The angel of the Lord, Genesis 22, 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham out of heaven and said, In myself, by myself, I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you multiplying, I will multiply your descendants. As the stars of the heaven and the sand on the seashore, your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. God was so moved by Abraham's desire to live a supernatural lifestyle, he said, the world, the entire world will be blessed through you. And you're like, oh, good for Abraham. Um, no, Galatians 3 if you are of Christ and in Christ, then you are seed of Abraham and therefore heirs to this promise. So living a supernatural lifestyle is going, God, you said to Abraham, the nations will be blessed through him. Would they also be blessed through me? How? A supernatural lifestyle of faith where you depend on God in the way Abraham did. And God is going to call us to a place where he will test our faith and our obedience. And <laughs> 
I hope you're ready. I sure as heck hope I'm ready. Second part I wanted to talk about this morning is our heritage. 1984, a small church started in Te Aumudu. It was called Rosetown Community Church. They started meeting first and foremost in the St. John's Ambulance Hall with a few of them, half a dozen, maybe a dozen. Quickly grew. Pastor used to stand on an apple box and preach the gospel and people get saved and healed. Quickly grew and they went down to Te Aumudu Intermediate School Hall and it grew even more. And by faith they bought this land here. On the screen, you can see that the church was founded on a passion for the lost to accept Jesus. By that, I mean faith in Jesus. Those that don't know Jesus came to know Jesus. There was a passion in the church for healing and deliverance. The stories I read and the stories I hear was in this building, people were set free from demonic oppression. In this building, people were healed from sickness and disease. In this building, people declared faith in Jesus Christ. Last week, I spoke to a couple who were pastors in the 80s here. They were the assistant pastors. They served under Brian and, and, and Hannah. And they told me that this church was founded on the passion for the supernatural things of God. They saw healings, deliverance, salvation, baptism. The church grew in the way that they could influence the town. Most important, it's not about numbers. Friends, it's about influence. And I had a significant moment when I spoke with them. In my office this week, it was one of my highlights. I talked about the journey we've been on as a church, the challenges we're facing, but how we believe what God said to us, and we're holding ourselves up with that promise. And he could have knocked me over with a feather when Ian quoted to me Joshua chapter 3. Because Joshua chapter 3 was a, was a very, very significant verse that God gave us through lockdown in March, April last year. The Lord speaks to Joshua to stir the people, and Joshua says, by the Spirit of God, Joshua 3 verse 5, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow you will see the Lord do wonders amongst you. And we receive that as a rema word of God, meaning a now word of God. We believe that it was a gift from God, and we've been praying it every week ever since. And Pastor Ian says, well, in April 1987, I can tell you the clothes I was wearing. I can tell you which seat I was sitting in. I can tell you the name of the pastor, which he did, and I forgot, I'm sorry. He says, the speaker said this, and he says, stir up church for the you will see the Lord do wonders amongst you. Get ready to cross over. It's time to move in the things of God. And he says it was a powerful moment for the church. It stirred them from grazing sheep on this land to building this building on this land. It stirred Ian to sell his farm and become a pastor full-time. And from 1987 till 2020, he was full-time in ministry planting churches in the North Island, raising up disciples and blessing communities. Same passage. We prayed this in the Zoom prayer during the week. I can't remember who it was. It might have been Deborah Brown, I think, that said, well, what is... What's the time difference between 87 when God gave the word and 2020 when we got it, it was 33 years? Well, the obvious question is, what does 33 mean in biblical terms? So we looked it up. It means fulfillment of a ministry. Fulfillment. Fulfillment. I'm taking that as a word from God. I believe God is connecting the dots. I believe he's connecting us to our history. Because what I have learned since I've come here is we need to look backwards in order to be able to see forwards. Our future is defined by our past. Not limited, but God's already spoken 
and he's leading us forward. You know, when I came here in 2015, it was really common for us to see supernatural things happen on a Sunday morning. We, um, would, we would see physical signs. There was, there was stuff that fell out of the sky in one of the meetings in here. I was thinking it was going to be the fire of God, but it turned out it was hail that came in through the vents, but it was like mist drifting through the building. The presence of God was tangible. We had salvations, we had words of knowledge, we had prophecy. One Sunday morning, I remember standing on the corner of the stage up there, calling out people who had issues with their right knee, and that morning, seven people were healed, 100%. Some of them didn't even get prayed for. Believe God is showing us what he's done because he wants us to see it again. For deep times of soaking with worship and the presence of God has been tangible and lives have been changed. We've had worship parties. We've hosted breakthrough services where we invited the Christians of the town to pray repentance and forgiveness to break generational bondage for sins of the past. And we've seen God do powerful things. What God's done once, he wants to do it again. Mm, yeah, I hope some would say amen to that. As I've prepared myself for this supernatural series, I've realized how far we've drifted from who God made us to be. Times are tough, times are challenging, and sometimes you drift. In a recent ministry time, I heard the Lord say that one reason for this is that the enemy had literally come on assignment to steal my confidence, me personally. And I haven't been able to lead in the way that God had called me to lead. Praise God, in that ministry time, God promised me he's going to give me my confidence back. I'm excited to see that, but I need to add, I can't do it on my own. And I don't want to. I'm not that interested in moving into the season that God's got for us by myself. This is a journey for all of us to go on about all of us seeking God individually as well as corporately. Like, I love the fact that many of you are praying for the church at home. But if you don't turn up to prayer meetings, how do you strengthen others? It's like the people that go to the gym to get strong but never turn up on the sports field. It's good for you, but it's not good for me. It's not good for the team. God is saying to us, and the elders are working through this, guys, we're going to become the temple, living stones fitted together by God, the glorious temple, so that we can demonstrate God's power and his glory and his love to our community. We have a foundation for it based on Scripture. We have a heritage for it based on our history of the church. Now we need to understand why would we build our house on a rock? 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, I'm mindful of the time, so I promise you I'm not going to teach the whole passage, but it's kind of exciting to read 2 Corinthians chapter 3 because when you read it in the light of how does Paul want to help the church, meaning you and me, when you read that, it's kind of exciting because Paul gives us a glimpse of why we would want to step up, why we would want to move into greater things, why we want to go higher with God because Paul says, here's a taste if only you would let God work in your life. Read the chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, 
says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything being from ourselves, Paul says, but our sufficiency is from God. Without him, we're nothing. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, look, God has made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not the letter, not the law, but of the spirit. For the law kills, but the spirit gives life. This is what God's calling us into. I encourage you, if you're someone that reads the Bible during the week, read 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Have a read of it and ask God to speak to you. But I'm moving quickly towards a conclusion because the main verse that I wanted to read out was 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. We all, with unveiled face, you need to read the passage to know what that means, read with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. I'm going to look at this in a minute just to point one thing out to you, but I like to read different versions of the Bible and different writings because it gives me insight. And if I want a long passage to read, I get the Amplified Bible out. And if I want the traditional word-for-word translation, then I use the New King James. If I want something a little easier to chew on, I get the NIV. Occasionally, I get out a book called The Passion, which is written by a guy called Brian who studied language for a very long time. And he says, not word-for-word, it's not literal, but he says this in capturing the thought of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Listen to this. We can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We're being transfigured. That's where I got the word on the screen. We're being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This transfiguration is literally the same word used of Jesus when he was on the mountain. And Elijah and who else came down? Remember? Moses, that's right. He came down and Jesus was just radiant. Same word applied to you. That's our hope. We should be experiencing the same transformation that Jesus experienced. We should be wanting to see the glory of God reflected on our face like a mirror. That's what we should aspire to. So that's what happens if we build our lives on the rock. If we listen to the words and the teaching of Jesus via scripture, we build our lives on the rock, we would be transformed, transfigured, to reflect like a mirror the glory of God to those who would see us. Before I show you how, let me show you why. There's a phrase that I came up with this week. And, and again, I could spend a bit of time teaching you on the word glory that God uses, glory to glory, which is a Hebrew word that literally comes from the word that means weighty, heavy. The weight of God on someone is the glory of God on someone. But to lay a firm foundation is absolutely necessary if you're going to build a weighty structure. 
If you're going to go from glory to glory, if you're going to carry the presence of God, you will not survive if you don't have a firm foundation. If you don't build on the rock, then you can't carry the glory that God's got for you. So your motivation to find the glory, your motivation to build the foundation is to desire God's glory. That you would behold the Lord as in a mirror, the glory of God. So small foundation, small building. Weak foundation, unstable building. But a firm foundation, Jesus says, a, a wise man will build a firm foundation because of what they need to carry. How do we do this? The answer's in the verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. The answer is found here. We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Spirit of the Lord. But look in the middle of the verse. The only way you can reflect something is to be close to it. What you spend your time looking into determines what you show the world. What you watch on the TV, what you spend your time doing on your device, what is more important to you than reading the Word of God. What you put in determines what you get out. If you want to reflect Jesus and his glory, spend time looking into his face. Spend time with others. Gathered around the word of God, edifying one another in prayer and exhortation. Praying for one another, speaking life to one another. That their lives would be changed by your life. Beholding in a mirror. To reflect something with accuracy, you need to be close. Get close to Jesus. Look at the second half of the statement. We are beholding the glory of the Lord. What I mean by that is we're reflecting the supernatural life of Jesus to those that look at us. Is your life a testimony of the supernatural power of God? Let's allow God to take us from glory to glory. Let's allow God to take us as a church into higher things. More of God revealed in our lives. To close, I just want to give you this quote. I read a, finished a book this week, uh, really challenging. I'll possibly share some of it soon. I want to read this. This is by a pastor, Tracy, her name is, her and her husband lead a church in Texas. Uh, and the quote you can see on the screen is the beginning of a quote. I'm going to read you the entire paragraph. We should be known in our communities as a resource for the impossible. Individually, and corporately, we should be known as the place where the supernatural is common, where wisdom comes from heaven, where people can learn to access heaven and transform earth. We are called to be a place where people come all the time with their last resort cases, where they get healed and see that God is real. This is how Jesus, our high priest and king, lived. He heard what his father was saying and lived by those words. This is how he trained his disciples to live. This is how he's training his church today 
to live. I invite you to stand. I was thinking about how to get a response today, and, and by that I don't just mean I, get, I feel good when people come for prayer. That's not what I mean. By response, I mean your response in your heart. And um, I wrestled with this on Wednesday, and I wrestled with it on Thursday, and I was out of town on Friday, and the Lord woke me up Saturday morning and told me what he wanted me to do. And I'm inviting you to follow. See, in Acts chapter 2, we read this recently, when the people were praying together, the Spirit of God turned up. We call it the day of Pentecost. It's in the calendar. It's in the Bible. It's even probably got a heading in your Bible saying the day of Pentecost. Well, what's my point? The people were together praying and the Spirit of God fell. And I think if we're going to see the Spirit fall, we need to be praying together and that's what we're going to do now. You see, when the Spirit of God fell, I was thinking about this this morning, the Spirit of God fell and it says that they began to pray in other languages that were recognizable to some They weren't all waiting for their turn to pray. It wasn't orderly. It wasn't, well, you pray first and you pray second and when they're finished, you can pray. That's not the way you read the scripture. They were all praying as the Spirit led them individually and there was a sound, like a rushing wind as the Spirit came and people were baptized with the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit were released and the church was birthed into new life town took notice. So right now, what I want us to do as we close is to be the church that pray, to be the church that call on the Spirit of God to fall with fire, to be the people of God who hunger for the things of God as the 120 were praying after Jesus left them for 10 days. He had promised the Spirit would come. He had promised they would see signs and wonders. He promised they would go into all the world, teaching and discipling and baptizing people, that they would see people set free. They would see demons flee and they would see the dead raised. This is what they were hoping for when they were praying together in one room as the Spirit led them. So I wanna close with us praying all together at the same time. You don't have to listen to anybody else. You can pray in English. You can pray in heavenly language. You can pray in a foreign language. I don't mind. But pray. Pray that the Spirit of God would come, the fire of God would fall. We would become the supernatural people of God. He's called us to be. That would step into our assignment in this town to radiate His glory to others, reflecting Jesus Christ in every day of our lives. Come, Lord Jesus. Spirit of Jesus, come in this place. Come on, just begin to lift your voice in prayer. Don't worry about what someone else is saying. Don't even worry about what you're saying. Just ask the Spirit of God to lift you up in the Spirit, to transform your expectations, set your sights on the realities of heaven, that you would think about the things of heaven, not earth. Come on, let's pray that God would move in our town, that He would move in us first. He would move through us. Raise up your voice. Raise up your spirit. Raise up your expectations, church. We need to be the church of Jesus Christ that radiates His glory. Come on. Lord Jesus, we...